Welcome back to another hour of Scott Shower. I am Noah. And I'm Jesse. All right. This is episode 119. This episode, I think uh, we have some fun stuff lined up. Uh, first off, we'll be trying the Tomatin Dolchas. Dolchas. Dolchas is what I'm going to call it. Dolchas. 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 Dolch. Like. Uh, then from there, our restaurant. Uh, we have our shout outs and get it togethers. Restaurant review is the early bird restaurant. And then our smarter challenge, which is a change up of the lineup here, is the movie review of Spider Man Across the Spider Verse. Yeah. All right. And then from there, uh, real quickly, thank you for all of our new subscribers on YouTube. We greatly appreciate it, as well as all of our new subscribers on Rumble as well. Uh, we are trying to get up to 1,000 subscribers on YouTube, so please hit that subscribe uh, button down below so that way we can open up more features and make this a better podcast for you. And uh, please like, share, and subscribe. Anything else you want to add there? Uh, just remember, drink responsibly and give us feedback. All right, the Tumultin, 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 <laughs> Dolces. So, very interesting, the different pronunciations to par- depending on which part of uh, either Scotland or the nearby areas uh, that you speak from, reside in. The pronunciation gets a little interesting. Tumultin stays pretty standard. Dolces is... Uh, one of the many pronunciations we heard for this particular non-age statement, single malt scotch. 43% ABV aged first in ex-bourbon casks and then finally in virgin American oak casks. Their story, the Tomatin story, begins in 1892 when it was announced that the final route of the Highland Railway would pass through Tomatin. So without hesitation, John McDougall, who was born and bred in Tomatin, quickly made plans and jumped into uh, building a distillery for that community in Tomatin. Uh, and he did so. It was registered on June 8th, 1897. Tragically, just nine years later in 1906, it was closed. We've all been through the stories here. Different world wars, different economic conditions created a lot of these situations. However, from 1906 on, it wasn't closed long. Luckily, the company was purchased and um, it was also invested in to the point where they increased uh, their distillery output up to 225,000 liters of alcohol per year. They did this by dramatically dramatically increasing the number of stills but the question came in what was the purpose there and they were not really invested in single malts at all um the recession of the 1980s so for the better part of a century they were producing predominantly uh, blended scotch whiskeys and then the 80s i uh, closed the distillery once again just like it did many distilleries in scotland uh so in 1985 they closed their doors 
which was interesting, though, because since the companies nearly a century earlier had invested so profoundly and predominantly into this company, they were reinvested in, reopened very quickly, um, unlike many of the others, which remained closed for longer or never reopened. Uh, that term mothballed comes in where they clean it up and close it for a while. Uh, but the Takura Suzao and Akura and Co. purchased the distillery from the Tomaten Distillery Company, and they remain the majority, majority shareholder to this very day. Um, with that also came a lot of the focus on being quality over quantity. So it, that meant they got rid of a few older stills, started focusing on single malt scotch whiskeys, did less of the blended, and really focused on creating a a top-notch product. We have, in our recent past, also tasted and reviewed the Tomaten Kubicon, and that is their lightly peated single malt scotch whiskey that they produce one week out of every year, um, and then they call it quits again to the following year. Um, but they are known for the softer side of the Highlands, a smoother, uh, more creamy single malt scotch whiskey from those Highlands. Again, this one is a 43% ABV first aged in ex-bourbon casks, finished in American oak virgin cask. Why is it always American oak that gets the virgins, you know? <laughs> Just saying. Ah, too soon. All right. Um, with that, what do you have as far as tastings? All right. Well, as far as the uh, tours go, uh, they are open seven days a week from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. They do highly recommend that you make a booking for one of their tours so that way you're not disappointed if they happen to sell out. Um, you can visit them at visitors at tomatin.com or uh, country code 44, then 1463248144 if you want to give them a call. Uh, they do have a couple of different types of tours. Their first tour is called the uh, Legacy Tour. Here uh, you can explore the whiskey distillery and learn how they produce their award-winning whiskeys. Uh, you'll be taken through a, uh, a walkthrough uh, from uh, basically from the time that they started till now. And uh, here uh, children under five can attend, and that's free. Uh, anybody who's 18 and, o 18 and over is approximately 18 us dollars and it does last for about one and a half hours then they have the taste of the tomatin tour so taste of tomatin tour this is a more enhanced experience than the legacy tour and here you are also tutored uh nosing and tasting of six different tomatin expressions mm -hmm. um and this is uh about two hours long and it costs about 43 USD. Then we have the single cask experience. This is two and a half hours long. Uh, it's for 18 and over. I uh, just uh, and I forgot to mention that the uh, taste of Tawana is also for 18 and over. So no, no children, young children there. And uh, but for the single cask experience, uh, two and a half hours long, 93, approximately 93 USD for this one. 
And here you understand the importance of cask uh, cask selection, and they go to a more in depth uh, more in depth education about the distillery, uh, touring the warehouse, and then you are you conclude with once again a tutor nosing and tasting of five this uh, different distillery exclusive single casks. So here you get in five single cask tastings. The other one, you just get six tastings of different expressions, not the single casks. Uh, and then the Legacy Tour, you get to try their uh, Tomat and Legacy and Tomat and 12-year-old. So uh, there are three different types of, of expressions or tours you can go visit. It really seems like the cask tour might be the one if you're more into like diving deeper into uh, scotch and tomato themselves, that might be the better way to go. But if you're just looking for an overall uh, general education and learning, and uh, then probably the uh, Legacy Tour might be the one for you. All right. I do think the cask tour sounds the most fantastic, partially because we talk about how most of these distilleries not only uh, talk about or communicate that they have a particular water source they choose, but uh, several of them talk about their casks. And uh, I believe this is the first one where the tour you've mentioned really focuses on, this is the tour, focuses on that cask tour the importance of selecting the right cask. What a significant difference that makes. And this scotch will be no different with our bourbon casks and finished in virgin American oak. That is exactly the same point. Exactly. Yeah. And it, and you're right. Like a lot of them, the brief uh, information they give us about the tours, none of them really talk about like, or they don't really, maybe they do it in the tours, but in, in the descriptions, they don't really say like, they don't talk about the importance of choosing the right type of casks or the right wood. That's what, That's she, what said. she said. <laughs> <laughs> Had to go there. <laughs> Tamon's done a pretty nice job with some of their packaging and bottling in the past. The Kubicon, I wasn't super impressed with upon my first sighting. However, the more and more, even to this day, that I view that scotch, I was super glad I did go back out and procure myself another bottle. That is one that still holds true on my shelf. And this Tomatin Dulcas, it, uh, we're gonna see if it's gonna hold that same test. The box is pretty basic, but it is also of quality. Nothing left um, wanting, just nothing super outstanding. The bottle, uh, actually, it's a pretty decent looking bottle. It is well curved, if you will, wide at the hips. And this scotch looks like it has great colors. I normally am not some huge fan of brown, but the box, if you will, and the details on the bottle with this brown look pretty fantastic i i like the bottle i do too i really like the fact that we've seen this on some others they take the time and have invested in really impressing upon us the texture of their tomatin uh, symbol and verbiage um, really pronounced in the back it stands out and i think that's always a well done added detail to any fine scotch 
Without further ado, we're going to pop this bad boy open. This is not a super expensive scotch. However, when I looked at a few of the ratings they mentioned, they thought it was one of the greatest scotch options for the price. So the value is there. They do a nice job embossing the top of the foil, uh, solid wood topper. And yes, that's right, ladies and gentlemen, once again, they have uh, carved into it their symbol, not a super common thing, but man, I love the details. It's like the cummerbund, the bow tie, the cufflinks and the studs solid oak cork and if this scotch is half as impressed as i am with some of these other details so far we're going to be sitting pretty tonight i hope so I really do love the detail work on the bottle there. That is really nice. Too bad they didn't like figure out a way to get that on the front. <laughs> Baby got back. Dun, 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 dun. And it looks like the tomaton is done like with some kind of like stenciling or paint or something like that. Where it, yeah. Uh, okay. All right. Here we go. All right, time for our warp speed and tasting notes. Warp speed. Cheers. Cheers. Tomatin Dolcas. 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 I don't know. I nailed that. <laughs> Anyways, it's, uh, uh, this is a, uh, a vanilla, uh, I'm sorry, American virgin oak cask, right? Is that what they're, they're uh, saying? That's their claim here. Bourbon cask finish and then again, well, aged in bourbon casks and then finished in a, a virgin American oak. Okay. So this expression uh, by Tomatin, um, you know, for the price point, I am a little bit surprised by it. Um, I would expect something a little bit um, not quite as flavorful i guess or maybe as sweet uh as as maybe the scotch is um first of all i'm gonna start off with the presentation i actually hate the box <laughs> i don't like the brown and the gold uh i to me it reminds me of something of the 70s and i'm not a huge fan of the 70s but I really love the bottle and all the details that they went into with the bottle. So I was really conflicted because at first, just like looking at it from afar at the box and then the bot, you know, in the bottle, I was, you know, I was thinking like maybe a three, but really the detail that they put with the, uh, the top on the bottle with the wood and then, and then the, the detail of, uh, is it burnt in or, uh, or is it just chiseled in or something? It's either carved or burnt, but yeah, it looks see, more like it's uh, carved than laser cut. Okay, so I actually, I I really dig that. And you said it wasn't; it was like a normal cork, not pressed cork. Yeah, um, yeah. So because of the bottle itself, this is like I actually hate it when like <laughs> you don't have boxes or tins. But I honestly think this box kind of uh, 
takes away from the bottle itself. But, you know, um, I still gave it a four out of five. Right. Even though I'm knocking the box. I, and it may be, you know, it's not the box is, is bad. I just don't really like the brown with the gold. Brown's not my thing either, but at the end, yeah. But, it, I mean, the bottle itself is, is great. I love the bottle. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that was four out of five. The color, um, here I put down the color as being a nice amber gold. Uh, or it has a nice amber hue to to the goldness of it, and I really like that coloring of it. So I gave that four out of five as well. And then going to the aroma. So when we're look, looking at our, you know, going through our tasting glasses here, um, I got like a nice aroma of creaminess with vanilla bean, um, some honey sweetness maybe. Uh, right there with uh, some, and I put new oak, but I think you kind of like corrected me, and it was actually bourbon oak. And here's the thing, like when I warmed it up in my palms of my hand, and then that really like helps uh, bring out that uh, that bourbon oak uh, smell. And this was over probably 10 minutes ago, and I can still smell it in my hands. And it's, and I love, I, it's a great smell. At first, you know, I thought it was like just like virgin oak, like right after you get done, like maybe cutting some oak. But you made some good points that uh, is a little bit more subtle than that, which probably comes from that bourbon cask. Um, so here, um, the aroma, uh, because of that oak smell, I gave that a 25 out of 30. Now, the palate... Here with the palette, I got a. Uh, this is kind of weird. I don't even know how to describe what I'm going to do with the palette here because uh, going from this glass to the larger glass and our tasting glasses here, um, I got a nice creamy, almost like white chocolate sweetness to begin with. That kind of flowed into some uh, great vanilla flavor. Uh, and then as it hit my back palate, uh, right where it's starting to start to finish, I got this nice cinnamon spiciness, which didn't last very long. It did dissipate fairly quickly. And then on the finish, I had a nice lingering vanilla bean type of finish to it in my, for me. And I actually really enjoyed the finish. Um, the body um, or the palette, I would say it's kind of like a light to medium bodied um, right there. I gave that a 25 out of 30. But my big win here was the finish. I like the finish a lot, um, more because of like the lingering vanilla afterwards. Um, because you could just, even after you get done sipping it, right? It just has a, there's also some, other than that uh, spicy cinnamon, there is something else there, maybe a little bit of the barley or something. And then after the barley dissipates, then the that, that vanilla just kind of lingers. And I like that, like, I like vanilla a lot. Um, and... Because of that, I gave it the highest point. This is my, like, I guess the highest area here for me. I gave it 26 out of 30. Um, so if I, if my mathematics are correct, I believe it's an 84 out of 100. It is. 
and uh, I like it. Um, I think this is a, a type of scotch, um, even as you mentioned, and I totally agree with you. Anywhere from like a, I wouldn't say like a cold winter day, but like maybe like a nice fall day or even a, a, a cooler spring day, kind of like what we're experiencing right now, like in the, in like in the mid 60s. Uh, to maybe like uh, mid seventies uh, degrees when it's like that kind of like that kind of weather outside, I think uh, because of that vanilla and the and the cinnamon um, and the uh, the oak and the barley, I, I, I think this makes you know it's a really good type of uh, drink for that type of uh, weather, and it's even a little bit refreshing too. Um, would I take this to a black tie affair? I don't think so. <laughs> Uh, actually, I know I won't. I would never take it to a black tie <laughs> fair. Uh, would I take it to a gay night? Yeah, actually, I think I would take it to a gay night. I think it'd be kind of a fun, you know, if I'm just, you know, chilling with the boys, playing some so games. Crazy. Um, I tell, I definitely would take it to a gay night because I think uh, it, it has, like, some nice flavors. And if someone if someone busted out some, like, mild cigars, I think it would go great with some mild cigars. Um, if you're if you're having some munchies uh, there at the at the game, uh, you know, game night. I'm not saying if you have, but you know, <laughs> you get, like I'm saying, like you have, like what kind of games you have, are you playing? If you have snacks <laughs> at your game night, um, or you know, some kind of like nice desserts or whatever. I think it would kind of complement some desserts and stuff like that. Um, but I put it on my shelf. That is a good question. Um, I think there's a, a a spot maybe possibly on the shelf. But here's the thing: if I'm gonna get something that's gonna uh, kind of like Touts or uh, kind of uh, say that their expression is going to be American oak. I'm going to have to go with the Balvini uh, American oak story uh, edition. I think that uh, really uh, highlights and emphasizes American oak uh, more so than this uh, Tomatin. Uh, my, my biggest fear here with this Tomatin is that I'm not sure how it will last the next day or if you have it open for a few days. Um, it, if I was more confident that the flavors wouldn't dissipate by a large amount, I might have given it like another point or two, but here I'm being conservative on my points because I'm unsure of how well it will last once it's been open. Um, but as we know, like any kind of like scotch or any kind of liqueur will, after it's open, it will, it will like the flavors will, uh, decline over time um but you just don't want it to decline hugely over the next day or something like that so and that's my greatest fear on this one here because of the price point um you know for that 30 dollar range price point though i do think it's excellent i think uh you uh, you do yourself uh well by purchasing this if you're looking for a lower a lower tier uh scotch because i do think it's great i think for the flavor and for the price point Tomatin Dolchas. Man, I'm with you. The box isn't super sexy, but what I will say, it's got some sort of almost, not American, but English class to it. <laughs> and I think that that's where some of these earth tones might play a bigger role, particularly the brown. Uh, the box, I'm not crazy about the box either. I'm not offended by it. But I am not crazy about it. I do like uh, when we start talking about like qualities, man, uh, the, it's textured with the gold. It is stamped, in other words. 
It is a real cardboard box. It's not just paper where you touch the sides and all of a sudden you got creases. I like that. The bottle is also the win for me. However, when it comes to presentation, the solid wood top, whether it's been carved or laser etched, whichever way they found most efficient, well done with the topper. Like the shape of the bottle, actually. Sometimes they get to these less traditional bottle shapes, and I hate it. This one doesn't offend me. Literally, he's got the curves like the hips. That's kind of how I feel. So uh, well done there for presentation. I give it a four, much like yourself, for color. Man, I am right there at a four. I actually really enjoy the color for a lighter scotch. I think that is great. Um, I was not able to determine whether it was a no color added scotch or a color added, but regardless, it's still a four for me either way. Um, just because it's in that mid range, it is that uh, dirty blonde, so to speak, uh, which can be a lot of fun, right? Ah, the nose on this scotch. Ooh, um, the nose jumps right out at me uh, with that vanilla. And I'm talking about when you buy the whole vanilla bean and you're grating it or cutting into it, making that creme brulee, that vanilla right there, followed by a little bit of a marshmallow sweetness uh, mixed with pineapple kind of like that spongy pineapple marshmallow cake just that little bit of lemon crisp lemon like a lemon zest but not sharp i i think for me that's where the spice comes from on the nose and then a finish of a just ever so sugared or caramelized candy apple and i'm talking about the granny smith this is not like the red delicious this is a granny smith it's got that crisp nose right at the finish the palette is much like noah said uh, a little bit of a different story it is light creamy creamy vanilla with a candy sweetness in there um not offensive anyway not caramelized not brown sugar just a candied sweetness so light creamy um there comes that little bit of lemon uh refreshing and clean and it's kind of like a lemon sherbet not like a lemon water a lemon water would be uh too sour this is still sweet that candy sweetness with the lemon brings almost like a lemon sherbet hue to it uh back to the pineapple as we go a, a little bit more spicy if you will um and then that oak the finish for me much like yourself uh light man it's got to be pretty refreshing this is a super hot day it is light yet creamy smooth hints of oak at the end a little earthy to me because of the oak for the nose i gave it a 26. i think the nose is great for the palate i also gave it a 26. the one thing about the finish i i don't know why but i expected something more so the finish is getting a 25 for me um overall i've gotten 85 so once again one point off for you i unlike you though I am not at all worried about this being good tomorrow. I have faith that tomorrow this scotch will be just as good as today, if not better. I actually think this one could age better because even while we've been tasting and sampling it, 
the finish has improved with me. I'm actually tempted to give an extra point um, just because the finish has improved so vastly since we first tasted it. With you, man, I'm right there with you. Like, would I bring this to a, pla a black tie event? If it's a modern black tie event, hell no. However, if it's something classical, if it's with a bunch of people, uh, more mature or traveled if you will more experienced uh more english perhaps scottish then i might take it uh but it's got to be something where i'm not trying to uh, impress a bunch of a bunch of hipsters or americans uh because i'm not trying to stand out in a negative way and that's where i think the box does fail is that it is missing a piece of that modern elegance not that it's not classically attractive it just doesn't have the modern elegance um game night again hell yeah this would be fun to bring to a game night because it's such an easy drinker 43% ABV you're not tasting or at least I'm not tasting any of that alcohol it is smooth it is creamy the vanilla is there it's delicious this would go with most food dishes um i agree with you you could probably smoke this with a cigar quite well and it also definitely goes with many a dessert um spot on my shelf yes uh right next to the kubicon only because i shouldn't say only because but largely because man the kubicon really has outpaced this so dramatically and it's interesting to me that tomatin has decided to produce the Kubicon one week out of the year and the Dulchas and the others, the rest, the other 51 or how many other weeks out of the year they produce when they don't go into hibernation mode. <laughs> I will say, though, at, you're right. As, uh, as time has gone on from the time that we opened it to now, the finish has developed even further. <laughs> a lot. And I would be almost willing to give it a couple more points um, because the flavor, the, the body is like uh, actually opened up a little bit more and so is the finish. Mm -hmm. But I will stick with what I gave it as a 84. Um, but it is more, it, I mean, over time as we go through, I think if maybe we waited a little bit to taste this one, but then that would be unfair to the others, which we haven't done it this way. Um I do, I do believe, like, I think you might be right. I think it might be okay the next day and stuff like that. I'm going to tell you right now, life isn't fair. Not taking or anything to about to any of the others. Right now, though, I am going to change my score to a 26 just for the finish. Um, just because I do think we've given some of those other scotches a little bit more of a tasting, bringing my total score up to an 86, just one point difference, all about that finish because I think the finish in the last 10 minutes has changed that much to me where that you know what the others didn't do that if they had done that i would say the same thing for them uh but i am up to an 86 for the tomatin dulces it's time for our shout outs you know my shout out here we are as we're recording in the middle of uh, the potential victory game for the Denver Nuggets, if they can win tonight or one of the next two games, if they don't win tonight, they will become first time NBA champions. Um, but way to go for some of their key players. And I've, I've really been impressed with Murray. Um, and, and, but 
really, man, how do you, how do you fault any of them right now? So great job to the Denver Nuggets. All right. Well, my uh, shout out goes to all you people out there who were upset with Bud Light and, uh, Congratulations to all of you for knocking Bud Light off of their pedestal. They are no longer the number one selling beer in the United States. At what point does a CEO lose his crown for allowing this? Like, And then also, at what point is it right that the shareholders are like, hey, we invested in this company for X, you did Y, and I'm not saying anything they did was wrong. I'm not saying that they did something wrong morally, ethically, or anything, but it wasn't about that. It's about a business that has been invested into, and they made a choice that has lost all of these shareholders that have stayed so much money. <laughs> well, I think here is, is a classic example of not knowing who your target audience was. Like they've been, they spent so much time building their brand for a certain target audience to where when they went and did this advertising campaign that was only a one, one time deal with somebody that offended their whole, like their whole market uh, that Bud Light was sold to essentially. Now it's caused them like to cause all their like uh, patrons to move over to somebody else. Well, and that's exactly what I mean is like, at what point does the CEO or any of the people who did not understand, and it's not one piece, but it is a big piece of who are, who's, who's, who are we selling to? Who are we, who's bringing us the money? Who's investing in us? And they lost on both fronts. And, and again, they didn't do anything morally or ethically wrong to me. What they did wrong was they were like, hey, kid, you give me $10, I'm going to invest it wisely. What's the one thing that you want to see? I want to see more clowns on bicycles. And then instead of putting clowns on bicycles, they put like Muppets on bicycles or something, you know, like it, it, they literally did the opposite of what the people who are investing in buying their product go for. Yeah. And and I'm not some big Anheuser Busch fan. I, I I don't give a crap. Like if I'm if I'm any other beer producer, I'm like, thank you. I mean, here's here's a simple fact, right? When you, when you think of yes, most people like, what do you think about Budweiser and their and their advertising? If you say Bud Light, they're like, oh yeah, all those funny commercials. Not anymore. Not anymore. <laughs> uh, or, or, or way back when, like maybe when we were younger or many moons ago when other people's parents were younger or whatever, there was a uh, uh, another brand called uh, Bud Dry, and they had like all these like weird penguin commercials that went along with it, right? And then when you talk about regular Budweiser's, it's usually like uh, them talking about the Clydesdales. So, I mean, they actually had built their brand a certain way and, you know, I don't know. I think it's it's one of those lessons that could be taught in marketing and stuff like that. In any case. It's bigger than that. Um, I guess on to our, do you have any more shout outs? No, that's the one for this week. Nuggets, uh, good luck in your last few games. I just got one, and mine is simple. 
Mine goes out to, uh, my get together goes out to all of the insurance companies who've decided not to insure people or homes or cars in certain demographics or certain areas because they're considering those areas global warming impacted areas. That's their reason for this, yet uh, studies are showing that these very same insurance companies have been heavily investing and partnered with petroleum producing companies. Now, why this is my get it together isn't because I necessarily believe petroleum is causing any global warming. What I do think it is, is they've contradicted themselves. And that is my problem. All right. My get it togethers. First one is that the U.S. government is now preparing to evacuate Americans from Taiwan. I believe we have mentioned quite a few times that starting uh, two years ago, <laughs> that China will eventually invade Taiwan because of the foolishness of the Biden regime uh, with uh, how they pulled out of Af was Afghanistan. First we pulled off out of Afghanistan, but then we decided we were going to support Ukraine. One does not equal the other. And also our, our statement was quite simple. If Russia invades Ukraine, it is only a matter of time before China, China takes Taiwan. And my, uh, the other one, it goes out to the Canadian uh, mass media. Here, they are blaming climate change for all the wildfires that were happening in Canada, even though they arrested a bunch of arsonists for lighting all those fires. <laughs> it's literally like the insurance companies in America. It's the petroleum producing companies that are causing global warming. This is terrible. We're pulling out of these areas that are being impacted by climate change from the companies we've invested in. Wait a minute. Like, there's something that's where ethics and morals come in question. You can't arrest someone for starting a fire and then blame something else. So, here, I mean, I, I think we've hinted about Just this. The crackhead bears. I Cocaine think we've bear. hinted about this a little bit, but there is a much bigger uh, uh, play. There's a much bigger uh, thing happening at play here. I mean, there's a. No one wants to say like there's a deep state or a cabal or like a, a the Illuminati or something like that. But you, when you look at like Bud Light, you look at Target, you look at uh, these insurance companies, you look at these uh, media, uh, these news medias in Canada blaming uh, climate change due to people who are lighting fires. Uh, there is some kind of like global elitist group or whatever trying to dictate and, uh, and and force down a certain narrative into people's throats. I don't know if I agree with all of that, but what I will say is people have definitely, corporations have tried to take advantage and blame those that were not to blame. All right, our restaurant, the Early Bird Restaurant at the Landmark in Centennial, Colorado. Oh, man, what'd you think? Well, first of all, uh, the Landmark area actually has a bunch of like really cool little restaurants in that area. We've uh, uh, reviewed one other restaurant, I believe, in that area. We haven't done two yet. I think this is our second one from that area. Uh, however, the one thing I will say about getting to the landmark area in Centennial, 
is it's kind of confusing as heck to get there. Um, it's not like super easy off of like any one turn off from a major street. You have to kind of drive a little bit to get there. Uh, in my opinion. Uh, but, uh, this place here is, it's, it's a breakfast place and, uh, they have some nice outdoor patio seating. The indoor looked okay. Uh, I wouldn't say anything to write home about, but it wasn't a, it wasn't a detractor either. So I would just say it's just like middle of the road. Um, I thought the wait staff was pretty good. Uh, they came around just enough times. They didn't uh, come out. They didn't come around so often to where they bothered you, but they, uh, you know, they didn't also not come around enough to where you were wanting either. So I think they they visit us uh, about the right amount of time. Uh, the food portions, I didn't. I couldn't eat all of my all of my dish, um, but uh, what I had ordered is called the la he- la jefe. And really, they should have gone with like. Uh, I think it was a little hefa. Hefa. Oh, maybe it is hefa. <laughs> F-A, hefa. L A J E F A. It's the female boss. The female boss. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, I still think I should have gone with uh, <laughs> with Ash versus the Evil Dead. <laughs> I like the L F A name too. The only reason I noticed it was the L F A was because it says law. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, wait a minute, what? Like, that doesn't, I don't even think that's proper Spanish. <laughs> Any case, if it is a female boss, I'm not really sure why a female would want this dish, really. Since She's the boss. Of, she is the boss. <laughs> but this was a uh, stuffed waffle is what they called them. Uh, this had uh, barbecue pork, uh, shoulder, uh, shoulder bacon, two eggs, cheese, all on a Johnny Cake waffle. And the actually the Johnny Cake waffle is like gluten-free type of waffle from what the what the waitress said. The waffle itself tasted great. So here, here's a they they served this the waffle and then you had everything piled on top of the waffle. And there is no syrup or butter. And I, I don't know. For me, I like the biggest my biggest hurdle here was that there was no syrup because, like, you know, I'm used to having a waffle with syrup, and uh, that was a slight bit of a detractor for me. Plus, there's a, the fact that, and I and I know this about myself, and so I can't blame the restaurant themselves, is I'm the type of person, unless it's like a smothered burrito or something like where, and this is designed to have all these things mixed together, I kind of like my food kind of separated from each other. Um, and I think in... If I would have ordered the eggs correctly, because the eggs is supposed to be two eggs over uh, two eggs, two medium eggs. So I think with the, a little bit more of a runny yolk, uh, with the barbecue pork, that would have like served maybe as like what one would use as syrup on a waffle. Um, but I got scrambled eggs, so I didn't really get that kind of thing. Uh, the sweet barbecue pork did go well with the waffle, and would have made up for the. Uh, for the syrup, but for me personally, I ended up having to separate everything, and I enjoyed each one of these items very much all on their own. Like the barbecue pork was great, the shoulder the shoulder bacon was phenomenal. The scrambled eggs are scrambled eggs; they're great anyways. Honestly, I didn't see the cheese anywhere on the plate, uh, and then the waffle, even all by itself, had really great flavor to it. 
So I'm not gonna really knock them for points of for or for me ordering something. I know typically I, I don't like having my food mixed up, but uh, I would give this like you know for the portion, uh, the cost uh, for what I paid. I, I'm gonna give it like an eight because I, I actually really thought it was a good dish, um, and I did enjoy it. The service uh, I'm gonna give that a I'll give it an eight as well. I think the server, like I said, they came around just enough times to, to you know, to make it nice. The ambiance or the, the decor, you know, I think it was, a, it was a nice sunny day. Actually, the temperature wasn't all that bad there. So um, I really am not even going to knock, like you can't really knock the weather with this, but I'm, I'm going to give that a seven. Um, but around a quarter of an eight, I think it's a good place to try if you want to go someplace for breakfast. The one thing I probably would have liked to have seen, and I didn't drink any alcohol that day, is that uh, if they had like a bottomless mimosas, I think that would have been a, that would have been awesome there, or Bing. bottomless. That's what she said. Uh, <laughs> Bloody Marys. Uh, I think the one detractor here it was the price of their alcoholic drinks. Uh, you know, for even a draft beer it was nine dollars. Uh, the uh, almost every drink was like somewhere like at, at bare minimum of like nine dollars or higher. And so I think they could have done a little bit better on the pricing of their drinks for like brunch and stuff. Um, it, so if I was if I actually had alcohol, I probably would have maybe given it like a one point less or maybe or something and dropped down to a seven. Exactly what I did. <laughs> uh, but since I didn't have any alcohol, I gave it an eight. But if I had alcohol, I would have dropped it down to a seven. So actually maybe a seven is more of a true, uh, true number for this one for me. Um, would I take a date there? I guess if she spent the night the night over, yeah. <laughs> I think it'd be a good place to take uh, someone there for breakfast. Uh, uh, would I meet a first date there? Probably not, but they spent the night over. She spent the night over. Sure, I'd take her there. Uh, would I meet a friend there? I could see meeting a friend there. Um, uh is it a destination spot? No, it is not a destination spot. This is not a place I'm going to go out of my way to go to go have breakfast at. But if it's like on my way or, you know, there's no place, you know, I really want to go to that's within a shorter driving distance, then maybe I would go there. My review of the early bird restaurant, pretty similar, honestly. Um, I had the EBR early bird restaurant. Benny B-E-N-I for Benedict. And here you had a biscuit with barbecue pork, um, creamy spinach. They said creamy coconut spinach. I couldn't tell if there was any coconut in it or not. Hollandaise sauce on top of two poached eggs, uh, roasted tomatoes, a little basil, a little bacon, a little cilantro, you know, a few other little things. Those were the big ones, though. And honestly, what I will say is, the pork on top of these eggs benedict so the early bird restaurant benedict uh was actually great i loved my dish what i did not love was the taste of as was mentioned the pricey alcoholic beverages so the blackberry mimosa meh, i make better ones and i you know it's just point blank. Mine are 10 times as good. I make them. They're 10 times as good. The Bloody Mary. Uh, again, I make better ones. My Bloody Marys on a bad day are four times as good. Um, but I have never made that uh, 
pork Benedict before. That was the win. So overall, for me, the food, the food itself was an eight. The drinks themselves were a, a six. Um, overall, still a seven. The service for me was a seven. Um, the only thing I didn't like about the service is she wasn't inviting. She was there. She was present. She got us taken care of. I think she's just structured really well, but she doesn't really believe in it. Um, the environment. We sat outside. I dug it. It was a good morning for her. Temperature was right. I wished I'd been in Florida, which is like five more degrees, same cloud, you know, overcast, but about five degrees warmer. I bet the drinks would have tasted better too. <laughs> Uh, but overall, the environment is seven. Um, the value, the food value for me, uh, because my food was so great, easily a nine. This is the mid-range restaurant, easily a nine. Um, however, the drink value right there with you drops it all the way down to a seven. Overall, it's a seven for me, which is still good for a mid-range restaurant, especially such a simple one. Um, we get into the wins and the opportunities here. And as far as would I meet a date there? Absolutely. If I was going to the area, would I go and meet a date there, take a date there? Absolutely. Here's why it's date worthy is because there's a movie theater right next to it. There's other bars and restaurants right next to it. There's the comedy works right down from it. And if I'm going to any of those other things at a time where I can enjoy this restaurant, all of a sudden it makes sense. I, it, as you mentioned, it is not a destination. I am absolutely not going out of my way to go there. However, if it's, it, they did a good job placing their location conveniently where it's good enough that I wouldn't mind going there for any of of other amenities, um, but I'm not seeking it out. Would I meet a friend there? Same reasons. Yeah, I would meet a friend there if I was already in the neighborhood. Otherwise, man, we've both had better. And I think at the end of the day, man, we make better food. Like, I agree we make better food. Plus, there's actually better restaurants there. <laughs> yeah, Ted's Montana Grill there. Yeah, the, uh, the Irish Pub. The Irish there. Pub, any day over this. And I'm thinking we need to go back to the Irish pub for their brunch on a weekend because I bet their brunch would beat this. Although, man, my Benedict was great. It's just that the rest was just mediocre. Yeah, I agree. All right. Uh, so if you do, uh, if any of you do want to uh, try out the Early Bird restaurant, uh, please give them a try. It's not that they're not bad. I, I mean, honestly, anything that has that uh, barbecue pork. On, t on in that dish is gonna be is gonna taste really good. Just be aware the uh, alcohol prices are not very friendly, and it's not that they're terrible. They're just not the friendly. drinks. It's it's not even about friendly to me. I'll pay like when we go to the Metropolitan Bar and Grill and get a Palisade Peach Draft. I would pay nine dollars for that beer. They don't charge nine dollars for that beer. It's like a double bonus. But the drinks weren't worth the nine dollars at the early bird restaurant. The food, yes. Ultimately, the food for me was not offensive at all, price wise. I want a great drink to go with great food. Yes, I agree with that. And so, just let them know you heard about uh, heard about them here on uh, Scotch Hour. This week's Smarter Challenge was to do a movie review of a movie that hasn't come out yet. So we switched that now to doing a movie review of Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Absolutely. And 
I was so pleasantly surprised by this movie. Um, the ending was the only part that left me a little wanting, so to speak. But that was done on purpose. Intentionally, yes. And well done and not offensively. I wasn't like, God damn it, I hate this ending. It's just like, spoiler alerts. Yeah, definitely what? spoiler alerts. What? There, there's more movie? <laughs> there's, I got to come back and see another one or more? Like, they didn't even just say part one of two. This could be part one of 22. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh I guess, how should we say, uh, what was your overall uh, opinion of the movie, I guess? Well, let, let's let's look at, this is a 2023 uh, Marvel Comics Superman or superhero animated movie um, with a mix of characters. There was a prequel if you will there was a previous movie where spider-man did have a role and it was pretty well done i enjoyed that one what i will tell you though is this one was so well done um the first one didn't do its justice as an intro it's not very often that i find a sequel of anything better than the original this one was and it's going to be hard to finish as stiff as it started <laughs> So I I agree with you here. Like uh, Spider Man Into the Spider Verse, which was the first movie, uh, which uh, which kind of led into this one. Uh, even though there was a few years in between uh, movies, uh, the first one was uh, kind of refreshing and different, being a a late uh, you know like a twenty twenties type of like animation, uh, bringing in like the whole Spider Man storyline and because of the whole agreements between uh disney marvel and sony uh and the rights they had to do a different twist in the normal like spider-man type of story and i thought they did a really good job of developing that with spider-man into the spider-verse i thought it i mean i love the i love the soundtrack to the first one i thought the uh the animation was unique and different um but it like I felt that it was lacking something, and then the sequel here I thought was phenomenal. I thought the sequel was better than the original, far better, not just better, far better. It was far better. I think yeah, like a little bit better, like uh, character development. Uh, there's a a whole lot of like funny parts in there, but then yet there's a whole lot of meaningful parts. You you see the the dynamics of. Uh, friends here of friendship you see the dynamics of a parent child relationship you see dynamics of a mentor mentee uh and then you then you also see the dynamics of of a hero versus a foe uh you, and you also see multiple layers of people making decisions on what they perceive is the right thing even though it may not actually be the right thing uh, you know, because sometimes, you know, what they say is like, sometimes the right thing is the wrong thing and sometimes the wrong thing is the right thing, uh, which it seems like it seems backwards to say that, but but there are times where that, that does hold true. And no one really knows if the right thing is the wrong thing until after you do it and then you see the repercussions from it. And and that's where you that's where these become like learning moments. And there's a lot of learning moments in this 
uh, in this film, which I think it just adds to the complexity and the development and what makes this film so much better than their first film, in, in my opinion. And uh, the one thing I will say, like at the end of the movie, the first time I saw this movie, because <laughs> I think I'm not the only one who, who who didn't realize this, but this movie is there's actually two parts to this series. You have part one, uh, which is the uh, Across the Spider Verse, and then they have the next one that's going to come up uh, after you know here. In a, I don't know when, but in a, hopefully in a year or two. But when this one ended. Somebody in the theater that I saw this in was like, what? They just like, what the hell just happened here? Like, why did it just end? Like, it's so great because like, as soon as that guy said like, what? Everyone just started laughing because like, I think everyone else felt that way. Like, where it ends, you're like, come on. You got to end like right there. And after you already spent like two plus hours watching this movie uh, and you're ending in that spot, it's like, come on. This is such a shitty uh, cliffhanger right here that you know you're just like wanting more and it did leave you wanting but in a good way yeah it was not a short movie but when the ending comes it had no at no point felt like i'd been in the theater anywhere near as long as i had i literally felt like okay maybe an hour and how long wait how long of it uh, what, now there's a part two like oh my god what's going on hopefully well and i do say this i did it with zombie land uh one and two hopefully when they bring it back out they re bring out the first one and play it give you an intermission play the second one right afterwards because i'd love to see them in sequence immediately um if you don't i think there's this possibility to miss something but where i will say is something that's interesting to me is I think Marvel has held the upper hand for so long. However, their release here of Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse a week before, well, two weeks before, The Flash comes out. I don't think The Flash is going to leave things open-ended. I think it's going to ruin whatever the possible sequel is for Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. I think they're going to have the answer that whether or not Marvel wants to agree with, people are going to hold true to. And I think it's going to be ugly. I don't think any of us want to see how The Flash is going to end. Um, but no matter how the end, Into the Spider-Verse is either a copy or a now. It wasn't good enough. Well, you make an interesting point there. And the thing is, like, Marvel has nothing to do with this because it's a Sony production. Right. But it's still a Marvel superhero. <laughs> <laughs> so the other thing I thought was really cool, uh, of what I really enjoyed or what I thought was really cool about this particular rendition versus the first one is the first one, you just saw, like, when you had all these other characters come into uh, – not Miguel. Uh, uh, yeah, it is Miguel, right? Miguel. Uh, no, Miles Morales. So when all these other guys, all these other characters come into Miles' world and and they glitch, but now here across the Spider Verse in the second, yeah, I thought it was really great how you saw multiple different universes, and each universe had its own type of stylistic sense to it. You had the Miles universe, which held true to the first movie. Then you had Gwen Stacy's universe, which was like a little bit more like 
pastel and like subdued. Like the colors weren't super bright, but more subtle and pastel y kind of colors. Uh, and then you have like the uh, punk rock UK guy who like it was like all kind of jaggedy and edgy. I'm out. I and then you have like the uh, Indian guy. So I just really thought like how how well they depict and each character kind of held their uh, their universe's nuances, I guess, throughout the whole movie. And I thought that was a, a, a great way of showing the differences between them as they all jump from different worlds to worlds to worlds. It is definitely interesting. Um, I was watching it and I'm just thinking this from my own perspective. I'm like, how are they getting away with this? Like this is bias in every sense of the way. And I loved the movie, but the like, who, who is it that's getting away with this? Because to say that Indians are like that, you offend the wrong one, and all of a sudden this isn't okay. Or to say that this world is like that or that world, or the female's world, and I think you're right, is more pastel. When does that become okay? Why isn't it the man's world that's pastel and the woman's world that's edgy? Um, it gets really questionable. And I, again, I loved the movie. I don't want anything changed. But the whole time I was thinking about it, I'm like, so wait a minute, are we starting and this was my only hope is like, are we starting to get back to normal where it's okay to like have a vision and not just immediately be criticized whether or not someone likes your vision. It's about whether or not it's a good movie. Cause it was a great movie. It was a great movie. Um, what was your like favorite part of the movie? I think my favorite part of the movie was the whole time that Miles Morales played, and I'm gonna if I pronounce your name wrong, please call on, correct me. We'll get you on a future episode. We can talk about it. Um, Shamik Moore, um, Miles is combating the villain, so to speak, Spot. And Jason Schwartzman did an amazing job playing Spot. But with this, the whole time that they're having their dialogue, and then really Schwartzman's, the Spot's character throughout the rest of the movie, makes you understand, like, as much as we do or not want to agree that we all impact other people's lives, and they're trying to say whatever they're trying to say, right? Like, oh, well you're creating a glitch in the multiverse, so to speak, or you're creating another series of events, depending on how, which version you're looking at, how you're looking at. You're basically, you, you just effed up the, the multiverse miles. Like you just effed this up by changing it. Um, and that comes all the way down to when he was trying to be a good guy and do the right thing and working with spot. And he impacted spot in a way where all of a sudden spot is like, yeah, I, I'm not cool with this. I was just, I was hungry or I, I needed some basics and you just changed my life forever. And now I'm going to ruin the, the universe. Um, and it's that same thing. And it's, it's interesting to me again, we don't know who or how or where they're going to finish the storyline, but at what point is good, good and bad's bad and right's right and wrong's wrong. When in this version, they are literally showing that the people who are in control and I think this is also interesting um, because we've got, uh, you mentioned his name earlier. Miguel. Miguel. 
We've got Miguel O'Hara, played by Oscar Isaac. Honestly, he's my favorite character in, in the first one. Um, and he's the bad guy. Like, he is the... He's st- not even in the first movie. I mean, like, this one. Like, oh, this okay. one of, of the, the this one versus the next one. Uh, he plays the uh, spider ninja, so to speak. Uh, um, and why he's my favorite character is because he's absolutely a control freak. And I think that's real. And he's trying to do everything that's right. And I'm not saying he's wrong. But if he's right, then it doesn't matter what anyone else does or doesn't do. Everything is predetermined and we should just be following whatever happens. And in my mind, that means he's wrong. So you bring a good point here. I think Miguel... Right, he says that uh, Miles was the original anomaly, but it's really not even Miles' fault. It's not like he's like, "Hey, come bite me, spider," and having and knowing that the spider was from a different universe, he didn't know any of these things. Correct. Uh, and so, therefore, the types of uh, and, and I can kind of see where he like you have to be careful because if you do interfere and in, like canon advance, like he's talking about, which means that like the Spider-Man would never uh, would never develop or, or or achieve the like the growth that they need to achieve that if you wipe out these canon events then it starts to deteriorate the multiverse that there is a sense to that and that is accurate and that or that could be true it, it, like on a quantum level but at the same token here what happens when that has interacted like the spider's venom now from a different universe is now interacted with miles he's no longer it's not like he intended to violate the laws of the multiverse uh and what makes it now to like who's to say like what happened to him was not always meant to happen in the first place or what he does was always meant to happen in the last place. I agree, and that's my point where it's going to become very curious how they finish this, especially after The Flash comes out, because The Flash is going to explain a lot. And this, Sony, is going to have to answer even more. But at the end of the day, what will Sony's answer be? Is it that, well, don't waste your time trying to save the world and do what's right because it doesn't matter or are they going to say hey guess what yes stand up for yourself do what's right follow the laws be good because even though the other goods may fight you you are still doing the right thing so yeah so uh, before i get too far offline here um I, I when you say his fight was spot, are you talking about like throughout the whole movie or like particularly like in the front? Or? Towards the beginning of the movie, in particular, it was just great because there was so much character development and it was playful, and that is the truth. That is ultimately, even though it's an ugly fight, Spider-Man versus Venom. That is <laughs> any of the greatest fights, um, you know, in all of cinematography in all of movies. Khan versus America and, and the world. You know, it's any of these great fights. Um, it's just interesting because it was so simple and innocent and it was so playful. And that's literally how they start until someone crosses a line. 
I agree. I think that 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 fight in the beginning between him and Spot would probably be my favorite. But since you chose that, I'm gonna take my second favorite here and talk about like when Miles first arrives into uh, the Indian world and you meet the Indian Spider Man and the way he he was kind of he was fun. He was fun. He was just like a really fun guy. And how he talks about like don't say chai tea, chai is tea. (laughs) What are you talking about? It's not chai tea. <laughs> so I just think how he was like super playful and the way he acted with his character made that whole scene really, really fun. The other things I really liked about this movie uh, were the Easter eggs. You saw like scenes from like Venom and you saw scenes from like other Spider-Man movies. Uh, and uh, I think that just made it like uh, those Easter eggs made it really fun. So I say my number one would be the five was spot at the beginning. Number two would be the introduction of the Indian Spider-Man. And then three, I guess would be kind of like all the Easter eggs. I, I, you know, I, I think for me, the first one is absolutely spot and miles and their battle towards the beginning. Oh yeah. That's, that's just, that's so, so humorous and great. It's so, that's just it. Like, and then it gets ugly. And the tragedy here is it's not miles. Or spot that make it ugly. It's when the others get involved that it gets ugly. And I think that that's real. Um, man, I also, I, I think one of the greatest moments for there, one of the greatest scenes for me is when he's sitting there and he's like, I know, mom, I'm grounded for two months. And she's like, nope, go. I trust you. I believe in you. I love you. Go do you. I know you got to go do something, whatever it is you got to do, go do it. And that to me is a grow moment for anyone, whether it's a parent or a boss or a friend is when it's like, I I don't, I, I, I'm going to actually trust having no control how this ends based on, I believe in you. And that was what she said is, I believe in you. Like, Whatever, you may be grounded for three months when you get back. But right now, I believe in you. Go do what you need to do. Um, My final favorite scene is when Gwen confronts her father. And her father is like, no, I quit. I'm not the captain anymore. And I'm just thinking, was that not a canon event? Like, that's exactly a canon <laughs> so wait a minute like so it's not just miles that's creating all the problems um but seeing that was so genuine to me um that that i don't think yeah anyone who's not it doesn't have a good eq will never understand the impact of any of those three scenes in the movie but they did such a good job with all three of those scenes in the movie to me that everyone can have at least a glimpse of what it means. Yeah, and I think you, like here when you mentioned that one, I think that kind of wraps right back around what we talked about, like the different types of relationships and how they show, like how how it develops. and, And you see, in some cases, you see the trust, like parent and the child trust. But then also you see kind of like, the uh, I would say betrayal, but the the disappointment of a parent for when the child lets them down. You you see the uh, the love relationship of how that can be complicated. You you see the uh, the um, 
the proud moments of a mentor when the, when they have oh taught something some when they taught their pupil something but at the same time you also see when a mentor is disappointed in their pupil right uh and it, it's just kind of just seeing all these different interactions and you see someone who a miguel who is uh you know he experienced something and there and now he's trying to prevent it from ever happening again but he's like so I guess stuck on this theory, this one theory that he doesn't allow for any other possibilities. Yeah. And he's not open to it. Uh, one of my favorite characters, uh, is actually, uh, played by Jake Johnson, which is, uh, which is, uh, Peter Parker, Peter B. Parker. Yeah. Peter B. Parker. <laughs> and, and he does a great job. He does a great job. And he was actually, you know, from the first movie too. <laughs> and I really liked this. Like he, he was a great actor. Uh, I really liked his uh, performances like in uh, let's be cops. <laughs> he just, he has just like a fun, like sense to him. Well, and, and I, I think you bring up a really good point there is he does have a fun sense to him, but it's so great because truly, so far of any character, any main character in this movie, he is the only one that is shown to be well-rounded. He is a husband. He has, is a father. He's a superhero. And he is actually balancing all of this. And he's a mentor. <laughs> and a mentor, yeah. he mentors Miles. That's what I mean. It's like he is actually balancing this. And it's in part of why I love this is because I I talk often about a full human experience, and the only thing I can say is, is I look around in this movie and I'm like, and mentoring I think is part of a full human experience. More and more, I actually think that cannot be taken away from the equation. But he's got the full human experience and. All of this chaos adds to more things, but ultimately it also adds to clarity because guess what? Guess what you learn being a mentor? When my kid does this and screws up, this might be a way to react as opposed to blowing at them, blowing up at them because they're my kid. And it's, instead of that, it's like, okay, I've had people do this. They weren't my kid, but hey, we're going to approach this non-hysterically. Uh, I love that you brought that up. He is so well-rounded. Um, ultimately, in that sense, he's a star. Yeah, and I think here he also, you know, any good mentor also learns from their pupil as well. And he talks about, he tells them, like, hey, because of you, you made me want to go back and, like, fix things with Mary Jane. And because of you, I had this child. And I'm, I hope my child can grow up just to be as great as you. Yes, I agree. And so you can see like how much like, like in the first movie, you can tell like at first he was kind of annoyed by like having to like help miles, but then he like kind of grew, grew on and stuff. And then when you see in this movie, you can see like the actual like genuine love that he has for miles. Uh, and even though miles may have not have like seen it because I don't think, Peter B. Parker was fully aware of all the things that those like watch things or the time glitch things uh, had or features that had on there. And so I think here you also see a, a part of a thing where the pupil views maybe the mentor betraying them and it wasn't an intentional betrayal. 
Right. And that's a very real thing too. Well, I think what's very real to me, and this is where it's going to get interesting with what Sony does in the next part of this equation is you got Miles. He's young. You've got Miguel. He's not young. Miles has a choice. Will you get married? Will you have a wife? Will you have kids? All these things. Miguel, I don't see that Spider-Man control freak ever having kids. God, I hope he doesn't because that guy would be the nightmare. Um, So you see all, you know, Peter B. Parker um, has a a wife and and a son. You see all these different versions. And to me, it's like, okay, so is not every one of those a canon? Is not every one of those straying, no matter what universe you're in, a, a variation? And the only way you ever got to multiverse is it was never truly the same or every single one of these things was a glitch. And, man, I'll tell you what, I'm super excited to see Oppenheimer because if there was ever an event that created a multiverse, <laughs> something like that could start the chain of reactions. Um, but I also love the fact that you brought up uh, Peter B. Parker because – He's another example of you have Gwen's father deciding not to be a cop. You have Miles' father about to go get promoted. You have all these different fathers and father figures in here. Um, You know, in India, in Spider India, he saves the father. And all these different father and father figures playing different roles And I think that that's beautiful also because I think that's true to a father. We're always expected to play one role. But at the end of the day, someone like Peter Bree Parker is playing all of those roles. And that is the only way to be a successful partner and father. There is, you can't, you cannot always play one role and be a successful mentor, father, partner. It does not happen. So, uh, and I think it's also kind of funny how Indian uh, <laughs> Spider-Man. Dude, the guy was hilarious. Uh, says like, oh, you, can you just sense the love tension here or whatever he says about that between uh, Gwen and Miles. Uh, and here, like, just to ponder, if you if, if are Miguel, you're already pissed off at Miles because some other spider has uh, put Venom from a different multiverse into Miles and created the original anomaly. What's going to happen when Miles puts his little stinger (laughs) in Gwen? If he ever does. But here's the other question is, so are you telling me that... You know they're going to hook up. Are you telling me that that same anomaly hasn't happened and that's what didn't create every other Spider-Man? Yeah, right? (laughs) Again, like, you got to pick your poison. (laughs) (laughs) So, so do you think, do you think like Miles and Gwen are going to hook up? Cause you know, they both want it. That's so interesting because I do think Miles wants it. And I think this is so backwards to what would be the social norm. And maybe I'm just blind and retarded. I think Gwen is actually just trying to do what's right. I think she's trying to do what's right, and she's trying to hold back her feelings for, for Miles. Because you can tell she cares deeply for Miles, but I think she is uh, holding and reserving those feelings and that uh, the want for Miles, uh, and she has a better control over those urges. 
I only question it because she was sent to our spider earth to hold Miles back from doing a canon event. She wasn't even supposed to visit Miles in the first place. Well, she was supposed to get involved with him to stop him from doing anything. She was supposed to visit Earth to stop him from having the canon I he, event. I thought she was supposed to visit Earth to watch Spot and Spot only. Right. See, I always took it as though, I think at one point in time, Miguel said, you were supposed to stop him from doing this. Oh, that was when she was supposed to stop him from uh, Miles saving the Indian police chief. Okay. With that, again, though, anytime anyone has any romantic interest and is given that direction, and maybe that's the point. Maybe she didn't follow it. If that's the case, is that she didn't, follow it to a T because she did have feelings, then it makes sense. Otherwise it doesn't, but relationships and love don't make sense. <laughs> All right. Uh, what else should we cover here in this man? Who, who are you looking most forward to your top three characters in the next one? That's a great question. I am really looking forward to, Miles, seeing how he, uh, A, gets out of the universe that he's in, uh, and so how he escapes. But because, actually there's four, I guess. It's really, it's really Miles, Gwen, Miguel, and Peter B. Parker. I think those four are going to have some pretty big... Uh, roles to fill in the next movie um really because of the uh gwen she talks about like how she always wanted to be in band and she like gathers all the all the spider like well her group of spider friends i guess uh and the first one she goes and visits is peter b parker which brings his daughter along don't tell mommy (laughs) again though that's real (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like your mom's gonna lose her shit this is fun uh but the one person that they show in the in the so-called band is the virtual spider chick who allowed miles to escape and my question is when she allowed miles to escape did she realize that because of the spider that bit miles that he would go to that spider's universe or did she think that he would actually go back home because if she was holding true to Miguel and the rules, I could see allowing Miguel go to that spider's universe because he would eventually glitch out and die because he's not from that universe. But yet she is going to help Gwen. So I'm kind of curious to see like what, what happens with this with that character. Man. Um, so it's interesting that you see that because you mentioned four. And my point for that was, number one, I want to see what Gwen does next. And Haley Steinfeld, we've talked about her uh, a lot. She has done an amazing job with this character, an amazing job with her career. Um, Great things, including True Grit. Unbelievable as far as her performance, particularly not that she's a teenager or anything, but for how young she is, 23-ish. 
The second one that I really want to see is Miguel. Man, this guy, uh, played by Oscar Isaac, is on the hot track to become what ultimately could be Venom. Like, this guy is ultimately evil. He's trying to do what's all right, but that is usually what becomes evil is someone who's trying to control the other people from doing good. Um, third, Jake Johnson as Peter B. Parker. I want to see what his character does as well. Miles almost at the end of this first episode in this journey, he's overshadowed by their impact on the movie to me. Like, I honestly don't even care about him anymore. I'm like, yeah, let's save the world. And let's see what these other characters are doing because they're having a better impact. This kid is playing the fool. He's playing a little bit of a fool. I would agree with that. But I think it shows also his... Uh he shows his uh, potential uh, as he like lure, lures all the Spider-Man <laughs> out of the Spider headquarters, and uh, pretty much like he 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 holds his own against Miguel and the Black Woman Spider-Man, uh, which I guess I think it might have been Jessica Drew. Yeah, I wasn't. I I didn't like her character. Her character was cool with. Gwen, or was but, it, or is it Rio? Oh no, it's gotta be. Yeah, it's gotta be Jessica Drew. Yeah, her character was cool with Gwen, but otherwise, I'm like, I don't like you. Yeah, I, I didn't really care for her character either. <laughs> uh, but you know, but then yeah, Peter B. Parker's like, I couldn't have been that bad if that's where he beat you. <laughs> <laughs> right, and that's the whole thing is, but that's really again when I see a well-rounded person, they take their lumps and they're like, I gotta go. Eat dirt, explain to your mom why you were home on time, X, Y, and Z. But they're also like, hey, I'm not going to rub this in your face too much, but I couldn't have been too bad. Eat you. <laughs> There's also that one part where they're like, they ask him for an explanation. And so he starts talking, like, just shut up already. <laughs> He's like, well, A, B, and C, and D, and E, and F, and G. And well, I'm going to talk in circles as long as I need to until they tell me to shut up. And that's what happened. <laughs> Another funny part of this movie, I have to bring this up because I didn't bring it up earlier, is when the gal goes, Stop Spider Man! And they all like pointing at each other. That part was. Which one? No, that's perfect though. Because that, again, evil, ignorance. Like you're trying to single out one. And that's my point is, aren't they all the same? And how is it they're not. How is it they're not uh, affecting the multiverse by all hanging out and congregating in one area? Again, my point stands. Like, I think Miguel is evil, trying to allow evil to happen by controlling all of them, not by letting them make choices and do their own free will. At the end of the day, shit's going to happen. We all mess up. By controlling every Spider-Man and having the foolish ones all conglomerate, in one spot like the pose yeah oh there's a noise over there <laughs> yeah like it's just like okay so you guys are actually the ones doing no good i want to know what happened to the porky pig one bacon, <laughs> bacon. there was bacon <laughs> on my early bird restaurant Bendix. that's all folks can he say that legally <laughs> <laughs> that's how like uh when he leaves the first first movie uh yeah I, I don't know i think it's a great movie it's a fun ride uh lots of like adult themes in it 
Um, I'm not sure if the, like younger children will catch it all. I'm sure younger children will enjoy the movie. I think teenagers that have uh, had great experiences with their parents can understand it. Otherwise, I agree. Uh, a lot of it will be hard learned in their 20s and 30s. Well, even on top of that, how many adults are going to catch a lot, a lot of these themes in this movie? I thought it was well done. I think if they watch it two or three times, they're going to catch most of them. So I'll, I'll say you do need to see this movie at least two times, probably maybe three or four times to catch everything. Cause there is a lot of stuff that is going, that goes on in there. Uh, even in the backgrounds and stuff like that. Uh, you know, there's times where like uh, you see Gwen doing her thing. Uh, I mean, she's obviously thinking of miles cause you see like a miles picture floating out in the background and stuff like that. So it's just kind of, you know, some things like I didn't pick up the first time. I definitely picked up the second time. And uh, I, I think I probably need to see it at least one more time to pick up some more. It is weird also for me because we think about this multi-gender, male and female, if you will. Um, I mean, it doesn't have to be sexual. It can just yeah. be friendship-wise. And I think that that's where it's going to get really ugly at the end or at some point is that – one of them, and at the end of the day, it might be Miles. You know, it might be Miles at the end of the day. He says, like, it's probably best that we stay friends and stuff like that. No, it's not about it's probably best that we stay friends. It's that we're friends. Like, that's what we are is I, I didn't go chasing you because I wanted to go marry you. I was chasing you because I wanted to know you were okay as a friend. I think a lot of it gets misinterpreted in, uh, you know, sexual intentions. And then I, I think right now in the second happen. movie, I think in the second movie, it's very much sexual tensions on his part, but that's, it could be. I'm just saying it's sadly, sadly, truly, sadly. Confusing. I don't think you draw that many pictures of Fred. In your drawing book. I don't know, man. I got a lot of pictures of you. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds wrong. <laughs> you are just a friend. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the point is, uh, he's like, what do you mean? Well, this is, this is episode 119, scene one, and 119, <laughs> scene two. What kind of pictures did you think I was drawing? I'm popping a, I'm popping a cork, baby. <laughs> I'm popping 80 corks. <laughs> Again, I was thinking about a cork. Where did you go? And this is what I mean, though, when I'm talking about Gwen and Miles. I think it's so easy to look from an outside perspective or even an inside perspective from one perspective and be like, it's all got, oh my God, there's so much sexual tension. And when one person doesn't feel it, it doesn't it's not there that the tension's only one-sided when tension's only one-sided there actually is no tension it's just lust um tension is when there is you know i honestly think miles wants more than just a friendship it could be but then does gwen see gwen is a little bit harder for me to pinpoint if she does or doesn't like she obviously cares for miles but i'm not sure if she cares for miles the same way that i think miles cares for her currently i but agree <laughs> but I do I do think we'll definitely know the answer to that question in this next movie. It's just weird to me because maybe I am one of the anomalies. Maybe I'm a canon event 
where I'm like, I don't need sex with the opposite sex to be a good friend. And I don't, yeah. That's, that's a rarity for many. But for me, I'm like, I just want the experience. Like, I don't see you as a vagina. I see you as a friend eating a delicious breakfast or a terrible breakfast and telling me how it tastes. That's what I experience when I'm with a friend of the opposite gender, which doesn't happen very often. I'll be honest. Like, they don't mesh. You can't have a girlfriend and a female friend at the same time. <laughs> I agree. Like, I can be friends with a female, and sometimes you you, you need that opposite sex uh, opinions and stuff like that or that kind of, like, friendship that you don't get from another male friend. Uh, it, it can happen. Uh, I'm just not sure like what her point of view is versus what miles is. Cause I think right now miles is definitely infatuated with her. Right. Infatuation is a whole different level. Tragically not understanding what you're feeling. That's what infatuation is. It's like, well, I'm fully erect standing up wanting to talk to you. <laughs> but I, mean, I don't well, know why. I guess well, would you pick a better word than infatuation? <laughs> no, I think point? that's perfect. I, I actually think that's the perfect word. I don't know why I didn't think of it. I'm glad you thought of it because it's pro- fully true. It's he is so hard to go get close to her that he doesn't understand what he's feeling, and that is infatuation. It's like I I, I got to be close to this, not knowing why. Where I think she's definitely more reserved, but they also say like women or girls well, dude, mature faster than guys. Like but. 25 years or something. They, they try to tell us as teenagers, women are three years more advanced to you. It's 25. <laughs> <laughs> right. Men slowly grow. Women just can't grow any faster. Otherwise they start aging, getting old. And maybe that's why they age faster once they get to 40. Maybe. <laughs> like guys get like younger when they get to age 40. <laughs> Like, best 15 years of my life. Women are like, I'm melting. (laughs) Not true. We're just joking because of movies and cinema. (laughs) It's like that comedian. Uh (laughs) I'll date you for 10 years. (laughs) And then after I'm done dating you for 10 years, I'll upgrade and date your daughter. (laughs) For 15. (laughs) Yeah. What's his name? I forget the name of that comedian. God damn it. Tickets are expensive. I'm so tempted. <laughs> All right. Uh, any last words before we shut this one down? No, absolutely. I fully recommend two thumbs up from Jesse. Go see Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. It was dynamite. It was such a pleasant surprise. I, I did not expect that much from it. It was so great. I did think that the characters, the storyline, everything so far... Uh, it, it did leave me wanting at the end, but not in a bad way, only in a good way where I cannot, I don't, it's not that I can't, I don't want to wait for the sequel. And I love that. I, I love movies that make me feel that way. I love this movie. I think it was a great movie. I was, uh, I, I like, honestly, I saw it like almost back to back day. I saw it one day, uh, and then I didn't see it. And then I saw it the next day with you. So like within three days I saw it twice. Uh, and I, I think this movie is great. I think it had like great uh, character development in this one. I love the complexity of all the relationships that happen in here. And when you throw in the, you know, the whole multiverse, uh, you know, elements into it, I think it made it for a really fun ride. I thought the, uh, the, uh, canon event for the, uh, major bad guy, uh, was spot was great. Uh, 
his introduction was humorous and playful and fun. And then you saw the moment where he turned uh, sour. Sour, yeah. And really, it's kind of, you know, I think here's the funny part. If Miles would have given him the right amount of respect to begin with, I don't think he would ever turn that sour. And if Miles took the time more to understand the guy rather than, you know, treating him like a joke, maybe he wouldn't have, like, turned super evil. But who, who's to say that's not, that would not have happened, you know, later on down the line? We could literally make this a five-hour show going down all those rabbit holes because <laughs> that, at that point you get to the Batman versus Joker, and is it, as they emphasized in the Joker movie, a mental health opportunity um where it doesn't matter how good you are or aren't so was it miles fault was it batman's fault or is it just the spot and the joker and who they are um it, it opens up a can of worms we probably honestly shouldn't talk about yeah we probably should shut that so down. we're gonna <laughs> shut that down i like that <laughs> we'll shut that one down right now all right so with that uh <laughs> next next week's uh top topic all right next week topic and I think we're both super excited for this one, is truly The Flash. So we are, after seeing a Sony production with a Marvel superhero of Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, going to go see The Flash. I'm super excited. And because of this, though, man, I think it's time to like change it up a little bit. I had a mind for one scotch, but I've completely changed that mind. And what we're going to do is... I think the box goes with the Flash's outfit, the McAllen, the classic cut. Oh, okay. There we go. There we have it. All right. So with that, thank you, everyone, for, for watching us. We greatly appreciate your patronage or your support. If you would like to become a patron, just uh, in the comments down below, the very first link, you can take uh, that link to the Podbean uh, patron page and uh, you can donate money to our podcast. We invest all that back into our podcast with all the various scotches and uh, movies. lighting movies uh, to bring all this content to you. Restaurant reviews. Restaurant reviews. Yeah. Um, and once again, please like share and subscribe. Uh, please uh, hit the like button and making comments and sharing our, our uh, podcast just helps get us out there and helps out with the, the algorithms and sharing our, our show subscribing please uh even if you watch us only once please hit that subscribe button to help us get up to a thousand so that way we can open up other features here with uh, youtube and uh once again thank you very much for all those who uh, are subscribers and all of you who watch and support or listen to us on what, any of the many uh, podcast platforms we do greatly appreciate it ah, we've mentioned it once we'll mention a million times please remember to drink responsibly do not Drink and drive one dram at a time, right? One dram. <laughs> so with that, um, life isn't always going to be easy, but hopefully you uh, find ways with yourself, with friends, with family, with loved ones uh, to make life great. And until this next episode, 120, 120 coming soon. Scotchman! Cheers. We hope you enjoyed this evening's episode of Scotch Hour. If you did, please like, share, and subscribe. Also, if you have not done so already, please become a patron member. 
with memberships starting as low as $1 a month. Thank you, and hopefully you have a wonderful evening.